Hey listeners, this is Ben, the Amateur Exegete, and you're listening to Episode 4 of Bible Study for Amateurs. Today's episode is Two Pivotal Moments. Do you remember where you were on 9-11? I remember where I was. I was in the Dale Horton Auditorium at Pensacola Christian College, a thousand miles away from home when Dr. Mullinex stood on the stage and told us what happened. In that moment, it seemed like everything changed. As one country song asks, where were you when the world stopped turning that September day. Now, 20 years later, the effects of that tragic morning linger still. In the wake of the attacks, military spending in the U.S. increased, attacks on Muslim Americans grew, and whatever innocence we as Americans had, whatever belief in our own invulnerability as a nation, was shattered. Last week, we discussed number two, of seven ways in which the Bible is problematic, per Kristen Swenson, in her volume, A Most Peculiar Book. Today, we look at number three. The text themselves were composed over a long period of time. In particular, Swenson notes that two events in history had profound effects on the development of the Bible the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 BCE, and the destruction of the second temple in 70 CE. Why these two dates? Well, there are good reasons for seeing these two events as pivotal. Psalm 137, verse 1 begins, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. This song reminds me of that country tune about 9-11. As the rest of the psalm details, life for its author has changed. They are no longer in Israel, but are in a foreign land, reminiscing about the time before Jerusalem was destroyed by the Neo-Babylonians. The psalm's ending is, in a word, morbid, but you can check that out on your own time. The destruction of Jerusalem and its temple to Yahweh in the 6th century BCE, as well as events surrounding it, had enormous ramifications for Israel, the most enduring being the production of literary texts. Let's start with some of the more obvious examples. The book of Habakkuk, which references the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians, probably belongs to sometime just before the destruction of Jerusalem. 
Similarly, the book of Jeremiah, which begins in the late 7th century, continues on to the events of the early 6th, including the destruction of the city and the exile. The Deuteronomistic history, the term scholars use to refer to the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, was no doubt edited during this period, as indicated by the end of the book of 2 Kings. In fact, some think that the prophet Jeremiah had something to do with the editing of the Deuteronomistic history. It was following the destruction of Jerusalem that someone took the pre-exilic prophetic work of Isaiah and added onto it in the form of Isaiah chapter 40 through 55. In the post-exilic era, after Babylon fell, the books of Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Trito Isaiah, that is Isaiah chapters 56 through 66, came to be. Even works like the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon seemed to be the product of an exilic or post-exilic time period. And the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, seem to have been compiled and edited together only after the destruction of the Temple. So many of the books of the Hebrew Bible were written in the wake of the destruction of Jerusalem that one wonders if they would even exist had the event never occurred. But exist they do, and for good reason. Swenson aptly writes, A religion dependent on a geographical location or physical object is vulnerable to political vicissitudes. Take those things away, temple and throne, say, and the religion will fail. A religion based on stories, even those recorded in a physical book, is much harder to destroy. Books travel, temples cannot. Stories cannot be raised or defeated in military battle. So it was that the Jews became a people of the book. I like that. The other important event was the destruction of the second temple in 70 CE. This date was important because, in the words of Swenson, it not only spurred the rabbis to finalize the Hebrew Bible, but it also informed the theology and writings of a fringe Jewish group, the followers of an itinerant preacher named Jesus. Let's unpack that just a bit. First, as Mark Zv. Brettler notes in his essay on the canonization of the Hebrew Bible for the Jewish Study Bible, while the process of canonization was gradual, the crisis in 70 intensified a development that had begun over half a millennium earlier with the destruction of the First Temple. With their national identity shattered, the Jews were once again a people of the book, and this time its contours were better defined. Second, of all the books of the New Testament, only seven belong to the period before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 CE, the undisputed letters of Paul. Everything else was likely written after 70. 
This is not a random piece of trivia. Rather, the destruction in 70 is what gave us much of the New Testament. A lot more could be said about this, but it will have to wait for a future episode. The key takeaway here is that when we try to understand the Bible, we do well to remember what it took to get it here. In so many ways, it was born out of tragedy and turmoil. Consequently, the trauma of the past inhabits the words of the texts. Divorcing them from their historical context is treacherous, and I dare say, disrespectful. That's all the time we've got this week. See you next time. And remember, in the words of Richard Elliott Friedman, one does not need to deny what is troubling about the Bible in order to pay respect to what is heartening. See ya.